What's up, y'all? You know that music, man. It's another episode of 1363 and me. Uh, This is a podcast from the staff to the people of the Bronx Center for Science and Mathematics, y'all. I must admit, I'm a little bit awkward right now because we are actually recording this in person, live. This is this is like never happened all year, so it's pretty awkward. But um, if you know my voice, you know who I am. Uh, I'm Mr. Palacios. I try really hard to teach students uh, algebra two here at BCSM. And of course, I'm Mr. Krishna, uh, chemistry teacher at BCSM. Uh, just echoing what Mr. Palacios said. Kind of weird to be here in person. It's different, but it's pretty exciting. But of course, we've got a guest with us today, and we are super excited about this. This was super last minute to all of our listeners. This was super last minute, but we are super excited. Who do we have with us today? I am Ed Tom, your principal. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. Wow. Yeah, this is BCSM's own principal with us today. Oh, my goodness. And so it's like, uh, and this is the Jordan episode, y'all. This is just like, you know, the GOAT. I feel like we got the GOAT of BCSM right here. Like, exactly. this is so fitting. Episode 23, the Jordan episode, and we got the GOAT of BCSM yeah. um, hanging with us today. So, it's yeah, it's it's like, so much, it happened so fast, but we're so so glad that we can make this happen, create this moment uh, for everybody. So, uh, let's jump right in. Let's talk about how we're doing. Our entry ticket, don't change. We got to check in, see how everybody's doing. Yeah. So, let's, let's throw it to the guest first, yeah. Mr. T, a.k.a. GOAT, a.k.a. Mr. Tom. Um, how are we feeling today, man? Well, you know, I, I'm i honored that I can be part of the Michael Jordan <laughs> episode. <laughs> um, you know, I have to say, you know, it's, uh, it's a little bit surreal for me at this moment. You know, just, it's wonderful having the two of you in my office, by the way. I mean, I needed that human interaction. I haven't had that for 16 months, and... To be sitting across from uh, two of the finest faculty members on staff is is just really a blessing for Mr. Tom and just to have that interaction with you all. But it's a little surreal because as I look around and, and the bare walls in my office, you know, it really, um, you know, I'm, I'm really taking a little time to process um, where we are at in my career here. So thank you for the opportunity to be able to share my thoughts and feelings with 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 the BCSM community today. Well, thank you for sharing, Mr. Tom. Uh, Palacios, how how are you doing? I'm I'm like getting excited for this right now. Um, I I don't really know, man. It's hard to say how I'm doing. I feel like there's a lot happening right now, and there's a lot of change. I think, um, and it's been changing all year. It's almost as if this is like a fitting way to close the, yeah. this year because of how eventful. And how um, just the nature of this school year, you know, to, to be in this moment right now, like Mr. Tom said, like we sitting in the office right now. I remember when I sat at this, we sitting right at the table that I got interviewed on. Yeah. And I remember you, T, you were sitting right there and we were going, I was sitting in this chair, you were sitting over there, Miss Kim, Mr. Longhop was here. And I remember like it was yesterday. I remember like it was yesterday. Now, flash forward, I've only been here five years. Some people have yeah. been here a lot longer than me, you know, but like. You know, sitting back in this moment, looking at this office, like you said, the bare walls, how different it looks. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of emotional, man. It's kind of emotional. Yeah, I, I'm very much feeling how you are, Palacios, because I, too, was sitting at this round table right here when I got hired. And I remember it very distinctly. It was five five years ago, but it's still very much in my memory. And I remember Mr. Tom had, I think, just gotten back from abroad 
that day or the mm, day China, before. I think. I think yeah. It was China, yeah. Just just gotten back and was there for this interview. And I I also one thing that I will never forget at that that interview is I remember Mr. Tom said to me, uh, I know that you're in a position right now where, you know, you're not you haven't found yourself as a teacher, but I guarantee you will here. You said, I have the most talented staff. I got the most talented staff in New York City, and I know that you're going to fit right in. And I'll, I'll never forget that. I was sitting right here. Mr. Tom was sitting right here. And, um, you know, it's just I'm feeling so many things right now because on one hand, there is the joy factor of, oh, my God, it's the end of the year, and summer is just around the corner. Mm, um, yeah. And then at the same time, just being in this room it those memories mm. like you were saying they are really rushing back yeah and um this is it's it's you know i knew this was going to be a special episode but i think this is kind of a special episode for all three of us yeah honestly and we got hired in the same year yeah if yeah. i'm not mistaken yeah so yeah it's crazy man i do yeah. feel in a way also that with this particular episode i feel like i'm representing you know, it's it's us, but it's also every BCSM staff member, even the students that have maybe just thinking about the staff actually ha- that have sat at this table and met with you, not even on an interview process, but during post ops, right? During other meetings, leadership meetings, like you know, I feel like that's what this table means. And so many bodies, so many BCSM folks have come through this table, right? And for us to be sitting at it one last time, trying yeah. to capture some of this, some of this energy in this moment, right? For future members of the BCSM community to listen to and be a part of, especially with what you've given to us and what you've given to this community and our students, to capture that and to bottle it up in some sort of way through this podcast is like really special. It's really special. So it's about us, but it's a lot. It's a lot bigger than us. So yeah. Um, so yeah. Well, I think obviously the word on the street is that, you know, this is the uh, kind of the last chapter of BCSM for Mr. Tom, but Palacios and I are curious about what was chapter one mm. and what, better yet, what was the prologue? How did, how did, how did you get to creating BCSM? You know, how did you start off? What was the career arc that eventually led to this place? Wow. Um, well, thank you for that. Uh, it was just, it was just a pleasure listening to the two of you talk, um, and just bringing back so many memories. Um, you know, I had the great blessing uh, of finding, found being the founder of the school, and which means that every single one of my teachers, uh, I played a role in hiring them. You know, and I, I can't say that every principal in New York City can say that uh, because sometimes they inherit a school with faculty that they inherit. But what was unique about BCSM is that I was part of the hiring process for every single one of my staff members from from teaching faculty to guidance counselors to academic dean, um, just to power professionals, every single member of our dream team, I like to call us was strategically put in place by not only myself, but but the entire uh, leadership team here at BCSM uh, that is inclusive of the three assistant principals, Ms. Rios, Mrs. Borak, and Ms. Kim, as you all know. Mm. Um, 
a little bit about myself and how BCSM came about. Uh, I'm a career changer. I started in retail. Yo, you be looking fresh too. And so. uh, <laughs> well, thank you, thank suits, you, thank, man. You thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I started um, right out of undergrad. Um, I had a job offer straight out of um, Binghamton University. I studied business management, mm. and they would recruit and interview on campus. And I got a job in the executive training program with Lord and Taylor's and the mm-hmm. May Company. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I did that for two years and then the CEO uh, happened to have been of Saks Fifth Avenue. Uh, her name was Rosemary Bravo, who became the CEO of Burberry London, mm. was the stepmother of one of my college buddies. So mm. this is how small the world is because mm. I met her at a Knicks basketball game because my buddy invited me to join his family at a Knicks basketball game and the mom says how's Lord and Taylor treating you? Are you happy? Are you ready to make a change? Mm. Why don't you come over and be with us and work with us at Saks Fifth Avenue? And that's when I became a, a men's suit buyer at there you Saks. Go. There you go. And uh, that might I can be... tell. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I still kept some of those suits for a while. They last a long time when you're paying $2,000 a suit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was wearing some of those suits in my, in my teaching years, but definitely some lasted into my uh, principal years. Um, so I started teaching in, um, at Norman Thomas High School on 33rd and Park Avenue. That was my first job. Work, working as a math teacher. How did that... How did, yeah, I was going to say the transition that, yeah. all of a sudden. You, yeah. yeah, so that's a great question. I was very unhappy working at Saks as a suit buyer. I felt that I had a greater calling in life than to be ordering $1,000 suits for the wealthiest 1% mm. of, our wor- of our nation. Um, and I felt that I had a greater purpose in life. Mm. And... Uh, At the time, I was a volunteer Sunday school teacher Mm. at church. Mm. And I remember my wife at the time, we were, she was my girlfriend. She said, you know, the only time that I see you smile is when you sit down and you plan those lessons for those kids Mm. in Sunday school. Mm. She goes, you know, I think you were made to be a teacher. Mm. She goes, I think you were created to be a teacher. Mm. And I laughed at her. I said, oh, come on. We all know that, you know. They don't pay teachers well. I, I went to school to get a business degree. You know, I want to retire by the age of 40, and I'm not going to have that's not going to happen as a teacher in the New York City Department of mm. Education. Um, she convinced me to take a leap of faith. And she said, Why don't you just try it out? See if they, if they give you a, a waiver and you can. At the time, it was called a per di- some sort of. Uh, uh, PP, whatever, PPT yeah. certification yeah. for, because there was shortage areas in New York City and there right. probably still is in mathematics and yeah. in science. Yeah. And I'm sitting across a math and science teacher. Yeah. I think I was probably hired around the same time. I mean, I, I've right. been teaching 15. So, I mean, you were before me, right. definitely, but it was probably, I remember when I got hired, it was similar. You know what it was yeah. called? It was called a provisional certification. Yeah. Yep. A provisional. Yep. Yep. And what that yep. meant was that they gave you five years. Yep. In order to satisfy yeah. your your yep. state requirements, yep. I got the same but thing. in the meantime, you were able to teach. Yeah. So I took that um, and I made a deal. You know, I'm a man of faith, as you all know, mm-hmm. and I made a deal with God. I mm. said, God, if this is what you want me to do, 
I'm gonna take a week vacation from my job at Saks, and you're gonna get me a certification and mm. a job in mm. in one week. Mm. And sure enough, I went down to that famous spot in Brooklyn, 65 oh Court Street. Oh my gosh, 65 Court uh. Street, which is everyone's everyone can't stand being in that building because <laughs> nobody's happy working there. Oh, they're all miserable and they they're, they're, their eyes are piercing at you when you walk in that door. And nobody <laughs> wants to service you at 65 Court 65 Street. 65 Court Street, boy. And they issued me a provisional cert certificate because of all my business and math courses mm. uh, in undergrad. And they certified me to teach math. There you go. Um, and Smart people. In three days, as I was just looking up schools that I in in, in, in communities that I thought I would want to work in, this school came up on Thirty Third and Park, and they offered me on the spot a math teaching position. Mm. Um, this is a true story. I went down to to Sixty Five Courtry, and the lady looked at my transcript, and she said, "So, what are you hoping to teach?" You know, you you went to school for business. I said, "Well." True story. My response to her was, well, math, of course. I'm Asian. Mm. <laughs> I said, who's going to question an Asian man when it came to math formulas? Mm. And she cracked a smile. And, you know, nobody cracks a smile at 65 Court Street. <laughs> they just all right. hate, they all hate their jobs. There's no windows it. in that place. They I'm all convinced. hate their jobs at 65 Court Street. Right. But she did crack a smile. She said, thank you for that. I needed that because... Mm. You know, people need to walk in here with with the right spirit, and yeah. and I I really enjoyed that experience. Um, so long story short, I taught at Norman Thomas for one year before they accessed me. Dang, because I was the low- <laughs> welcome to the DOE. <laughs> I was the low man on the totem pole. You guys know how yep, that works. Yep, and yep. when accessing comes, yeah, yeah, you know, thank God for the UFT because it's not about quality; it's about seniority. Mm. Right. So you yeah. can be the best teacher on the staff, but if you are low man on the totem pole, you're going first. And I had to look for another job. And uh, thank God the assistant principal at Norman Thomas thought highly enough about my abilities to recommend me to a school in East Harlem. And the name might sound a little familiar to you. Um, it was called the Manhattan Center for Science and Mathematics. So you can probably draw the dots and connect the dots about how after teaching there for four years, uh, I decided I was recruited to be a math coach in District 6, uh, which is where I grew up in Inwood and Washington Heights in Upper Manhattan. I did that for one year before Joe Klein and Bloomberg and everybody decided to restructure the entire DOE into regions. Mm. And then I became a regional instructional supervisor for high school mathematics, where I oversaw 32 high schools in the Bronx. And after two years, um, true story, I read an article in the New York Times, and it stated that there were principals in the Bronx that were counseling students out of a high school diploma to get them into a GED program prematurely so that they didn't have to reflect those dropout rates in their data. Mm. And if you know me at all, I was that rubbed me the wrong way because I believe that all kids can make it mm. and all kids have the potential to be successful with the right faculty and the right team. 
And so I went, I barged into the regional superintendent's office after, with that newspaper article in, in hand from the Utah saying, I want these kids and I want to prove to the world that they can graduate with a high school diploma and they don't need to be in a GED program. Mm. I said, let me open a school to take all the kids that are being counseled out. And there you go. And she said, well, CSM. slow down. You just started working for me. It's your <laughs> Stop trying to save She was like, this is like the second week on the job. I know you're a little bit of an idealist and you want to change the world in about 36 hours. Mm. But uh, give me two years, she said. And help me move the Bronx in terms of high school regents' results. And I will support your proposal to open this school. In 2005, we opened the doors to the Bronx Center for Science and Mathematics. And the rest is history. Because as you guys can see, Mr. Tom can be a little long-winded if you... Open, give me open ended questions. <laughs> this this podcast can go on for a few hours, <laughs> so I will I will I will pause right there, um, so that uh, we can actually take a breath and, and and see if you guys have any thoughts. Well, I was just gonna say that it's you know, I think everybody's got some. Everybody kind of knew a few things about like okay, I used to work in the private sector and. Um, you know, school started in 2005. I, I didn't, I wasn't aware that there was a gap period there from you teaching and you becoming a principal. It sounds like it was two plus years or even more than that. Because well, you were a math coach for a year. Three years. Three and then years. two years as a regional yeah. supervisor, right? And three years. Yeah. yeah. And that took the place of me being an assistant principal. Mm, I see. So that, that experience of me being a, a math coach at the district level, the district level supervisory yeah. experience, um, kind of bridge the gap uh, uh, that I needed uh, for the superintendent for me not to have to go through the assistant principalship. So, go ahead. I was just going to say, how do you feel like that influenced your outlook as a principal those three mm. years in between? Because yeah. I feel like that's something that not everybody knows, that there was this period in between the teaching and the becoming a principal. Yeah, that's a great question, uh, Nikhil. I think uh, it it definitely allowed me a deeper understanding and perspective on how to navigate the politics of the district level uh, administrators. Mm. Um, there's a lot of compliance and there's a lot of um, uh, goal setting that is done at the district level that principals are are mandated to, to follow. Um, but I had a deeper understanding of that coming from the, the re region in the district mm -hmm. that I think a lot of principals kind of lack when they go yeah. into the principalship. Yeah. Because when you go from teacher to assistant principal to principal, it's all internal within yeah. one organization. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't see it from the district level, which, yeah. is, um, which I felt was helpful. It was, it was beneficial. To, to my experience as a principal. I thought Some, it was definitely an asset. Yeah, it's almost as if you like were inside, moved outside of the school, and then came back inside. So you were able to kind of, versus being like inside, 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 right? You, you were actually moved out and then came mm -hmm. back in. So you had a almost like a more holistic view, right, mm -hmm. of schools, school leadership, the politics, like you said. So um, I'm, I really want to capture this as well for anybody that's listening. E veterans of BCSM at this moment kind of maybe know, but um, for folks that 
you know, maybe listen to this years from now, whatever. Like, what was your vision for BCSM in 2005? So when you opened up the school, you talked a little bit about like some of your early kind of motivations for it. But when you opened up the school in 20, 2005, like what were some of your visions for BCSM? That's a great question. Um, if I might step, take a step back and, and talk about going, you know, starting from the inside, going outside and coming back in, the really big draw when I went outside mm. and looked at it from an external position and wanting to desperately come back inside mm. is that I miss my interaction with the students. Mm -hmm. So yeah. for those of us who are really invested in that relational yeah. type of experience with our students, you can relate and understand what I was going through that I couldn't take more than three years being outside of a building where I'm, I'm interacting with our scholars on a regular basis, right? Because most of us as teachers draw energy mm. and strength from our students, right? Mm. I mean, we look forward to coming to work every day because... We don't know what to expect from these kids on any given day. And, mm. and I just wanted to add that piece because yeah. I think it was so important for people to understand. I always I always valued the time and the relationships I had with the students. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't want to be away from that too long. It's like the gravity. Like was pulled you back in, right? It's like the gravity of the student interaction. Absolutely. Uh, that's well put. And it was just you know a very good description of it. So let's go back to your question Um Again, can you just repeat that one more time yeah. for me? Yeah, yeah. So when you founded the school, right, and like you said earlier, like you had your hands on hiring everybody, right? Everybody sat at this round table or maybe some version of it. Like what was your vision? What, 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 you know, what did you prophesize, so to speak, for BCSM? I think anybody who knows Mr. Tom knows that I'm a perfectionist and at times idealistic. Hmm. And being a math person, perfection is what I strive for. Um, you know, mediocrity is never acceptable for me. And I always believed, here, here's the vision, uh, Brian, here's the vision. The vision and was that we will create a superior educational experience for our scholars by surrounding our kids with the most compassionate, committed, invested team of professionals, of educators that we can find that believes in every single one of our kids' potential and ability to achieve that potential. And that we were going to take kids from the community and compete at the highest level with kids that were participating in schools and institutions that were either gifted and talented, screened, mm. testing in, even private and Catholic schools. It was always my vision to compete at the highest level with the best of the best, taking kids from the poorest and most marginalized communities mm in our city and being able to validate and prove to the world that if it's almost like feel the dreams fellas mm. if you build it they will come that if we build an institution that was grounded in values and virtues 
and not curriculum and scope and sequences. Values and virtues mm. about excellence, commitment, perseverance, service, respect, integrity, and honor. The seven core virtues of BCSM. While adopting a holistic approach to educating kids. So that we as a staff and a faculty are not only committed to their intellectual stimulation and academic well-being, but their social emotional well-being as well as equal partners and equal importance that some magical thing will happen Mm. (laughs) at this place yeah which to this day there are directors of admissions at colleges that call us the little miracle in the south bronx so there was a vision behind that Mm. and for me to see that come to fruition after 16 years is just my own personal blessing that I'm able to actually live through this this dream mm. that has become a reality at 1363 and me. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of piggybacking on Palacios's question. I mean, one thing it's it's pretty clear that there's that this school's been a success. It's pretty clear how many lives have been changed. It's hard to sum things up into one thing. Obviously, there's so many different factors, but what do you? What would you say the secret has been? Well, I think you all know what the secret sauce is. The secret sauce to any great institution is people. Mm. And it sounds so mm. obvious, and it sounds so simple... But very few people actually recognize it and live live out a process where they 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 create an institution that is mm. totally people centered. So mm. the secret sauce to BCSM is that first and foremost, you have students and families that want to be here. And I told people that the most reliable source of data that will tell me whether or not a student is going to be successful here at BCSM is how badly that kid wants to be with us. I don't care about their math scores. I don't care about their literacy scores. I don't care if that kid has an IEP or if they're an English language learner. I can tell you with a very high level of accuracy if that kid will be successful at BCSM if Mm. I am clear on how committed and how much they want to be part of this family and then to that point right to to get students parents to want to be here you then as a leader in those early days and your team in those early days and even all the way to the present have to create those conditions in which students parents community members see the school and want to be there so you have to be that magnet you ha- in order to be that magnet, you got to create programs. You got to get the right teachers to be, you know, you know, rigorous and engaging. Have the right external programs. So there's so many conditions that need to be met for that to happen. Because you know, if somebody sees a school, they're not. It's just another name, right? But it, once you create that brand, you create those those conditions that you know almost pull the students to you. You don't even have to go out and get them; they will be pulled to you based on the work the body of work that you have done, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, it's it's about the experience, right? I mean, we, we are 
you know, I was a marketing major. So I know how to market this, right? Mm-hmm. It's about selling people yep, an experience. Yep, yep. Right? So they know that when their child comes here, they're going to be the center of everything that we do. Yep. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and I have to tell you, um, I am a very uh, non-conventional, unorthodox leader. I do things that other principals don't do. So we're gonna get. That's a good place. We're gonna plant a seed because we're gonna come back to that later in, yeah. in terms of how you have evolved as a leader. Yeah. Right. So hang on to that. We want to. Know if just, I can hang on. You know, say, it's on, the, it's on the tip of my tongue right now, Brian. <laughs> Yo, we try to we try to create a little drama. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Micro drama. I'll yeah. bite. I'll yeah. bite. <laughs> I'll follow your lead. Cool. All right, Chris, you want to take it away with the second one, man? Second yeah. One, yeah. Let's go. So you know, you you had mentioned a little bit about. Your upbringing in, like you said, I think it was Dykeman and with that general area, and we just really want to know more about that. Like, who is Mr. Tom, and what was it like growing up in the Heights and all of that? Yeah, so we're taking away title principle right now. We are erasing your title. We're going right Edward Tom the man. Yeah, that's what we're doing. Yeah. So I am born, raised. And Manhattanite, right? right? And I was born and raised in Upper Manhattan, the uppermost tip of Manhattan, which is right on the border of Washington Heights and Inwood. So I had learned very late in my lifetime that if you live north of Dykeman, you are actually in Inwood. Mm. So I falsely claimed for most of my life that I grew up in Washington Heights. Mm. Maybe because I was a big fan of Lin-Manuel Miranda, mm. <laughs> I think that there was a little more cachet to saying that you grew up in the Heights. <laughs> so I was mistaken because I was actually a half a block in beyond Dykeman, so I was in Inwood. But um, growing up in that community was the happiest childhood that you can imagine. Mm. I had a wonderful childhood. I would not have changed a thing about my child, except one incident where a guy tried to steal my bike. Mm. But other than that, and I was like eight years old when they tried to kick me off my little red bike. Mm. But true story, I was I was a chubby kid, as you can tell, and they couldn't get me off the bike because I was so heavy. So they just gave up. <laughs> right? So that's, that's a little Mr. Tom story that... Mm. Very few people know except mm. my closest friends, but now the whole world knows. Yeah. Because we're on 1363 in May. Do, do you still have the bike? I, 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 don't. I don't. Okay, cool. I don't. I figured you didn't, I don't. but that bike is, you got some. I don't. Got some I, love I, in I, it right I've there. I've upgraded some bikes after, right. you know, watching what you ride, Mr. Palacios. <laughs> you know, just go, uh, the, the true cyclist. Yeah. Um, but uh, I have to say clearly. My upbringing and my childhood being in a community that was predominantly Latinx has framed my passion and compassion and empathy towards our student population. And because I'm a man of faith, I believe that everything happens for a reason and that everything is aligned. That when I was a child growing up in Inwood, where most of my friends who were in the community were either... Dominican or Puerto Rican, 
I didn't understand why God had me living there mm. as one of the few Asian families mm. in that community that was predominantly Latinx. Fast forward, going into education and primarily working in El Barrio in East Harlem. Mm. And now in Morrisania, where 62% of the demographics, the population at BCSM happens to be Latinx. Mm. It became crystal clear to Mr. Tom on why God was preparing me from day one mm. for my journey on where I am now today. Mm. So I am a product, a proud product of New York City public schools. I attended public schools throughout, all the way through high school. I went to John F. Kennedy High School, JFK. Any JFK alumni in the house? <laughs> you a Scarlet Knight, JFK Scarlet Knight? Mm. Well, that's in the Bronx, and that's in Kingsbridge, right down the hill from Riverdale. Across the bridge. Across the bridge, yeah. right down the block from our former AP, Mr. Seltzer, who is now Principal Seltzer School in mm. tech. Oh. Right? And that's where I graduated. And mm. it has definitely been the foundation to who I am as a human being and why mm. it made sense for me that I would open a school in District 9, the poorest congressional district in America, where 62% of our student population would be Latinx, because I had a real passion to serve this community. Um, if you would allow me an extra couple of minutes, I want to explain a true story about you. This is your, this yeah, is your show, brother. This is your show. So the day that I went into the region and became a regional supervisor, I got another job offer. This is what a lot of people don't know. And mm. you're just really extracting mm. some, there you go. some there intimate you go. details about Mr. Tom that nobody's going to get. I was offered an assistant principal's position at a school in Chinatown. Mm. Wow. With the idea that in a year, the principal would retire and I would move up to being the principal of a middle school in Chinatown. And I turned that position down. Right? The idea was, wow, how perfect. You have an Asian male, which the community would, re would connect with and the, the children would look up to mm. as a role model. And yeah. it would be on paper a perfect fit. And this was, you said, after, during your regional supervisor. Like so it, it was deciding between after I left as a math coach in District 6, right. whether I would go to the gotcha. Bronx gotcha. and be supervising yeah, gotcha. 32 schools or be in an assistant gotcha. principal. Gotcha. Right? And so because I grew up in Inwood, where the experiences mm. that I've had were all positive, were around my brothers and sisters that were Latinx. Mm. I felt that my my calling was in the Bronx, mm. where there's a heavy Latinx population. And I felt that that's where I want, even though on paper it made sense that an Asian man would take an administrative position in Chinatown serving the Asian community. That's, that's an amazing thing that people mm. wouldn't know otherwise and mm. they would question why I would do that. Mm. But 
the context behind my life would explain why I yeah, chose yeah. the Bronx. Yeah, right. And the Bronx is where my career and the proposal was supported by the superintendent to propel me into the principalship mm. of BCSM. So everything happens for a reason. Mm. There are no accidents. These are all destinies. Yo, there's like, it's like a big what if. Like, yeah. never, like I, I, it's not good. It's, it's sometimes fun to speculate and just yeah. think about like, what if, you know, you would have took that middle school AP position in Chinatown. You know, would there be a BCSM? You know, well, I don't know. Would I like, still be a teacher? Yeah. You know, like <laughs> I was on the brink of not having a career anymore. Mr. Tom said, you know, let's let's sign off on this guy. So mm. it's it's very, very interesting to think about. Mm. Um, I, I want to dive a little bit deeper, deeper, Mr. Tom, about like growing up in not the Heights, but Dykeman in Wood. Uh, and what kind of stuff would you would would you do for fun with your friends back then? Mm. Again, I hate to bring us back, but let me just address the fact that. You know, Miss Kim and I, when we took a chance on Unikill, it was one of the best decisions we've made. I appreciate that. So, you know, kids win. So I'm glad that you stuck it out and you stayed and you decided to come and be with BCSM. So I let me just say that. Yeah. And, and you know, Mr. Tom, I, I don't mince words. If I didn't feel it, I wouldn't yeah. say it. Yeah. So um, let's talk about the Inwood. Yeah. Right. Um, again, quickly, what was your? The, oh, what was my childhood experience like? So, give us some memories, man. Let's bring good, it back. Give us some good I, stuff. I, I'm old, so I'm gonna I'm gonna age myself right now. When I was a kid, it was in the '70s and the '80s. Now, you might have seen this in MTV videos. <laughs> I don't know if many of you actually have seen this in your real in your lifetime. Right. But we used to play these sidewalk games called Skellies. Oh, yo, I was playing it with my kids, man, last summer. <laughs> so Palacios is an old soul. That's all. Because there's no play. way Palacios is old enough to know what Skellies no, is. No, listen, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, I, I was in Cleveland, and a dude from New York came to no. Cleveland. And we were in the, in, the, in, the, in the parking lot of a rec center that we went to, and my man, was play, he introduced us to the game. So Skellies yeah. is a sidewalk game where you draw these boxes with chalk, yeah, yeah. and then you would play with bottle caps. Mm-hmm. We used to melt crayons in them. We I don't used, know how to charge. I used, used to melt candle wax yeah. in the middle of it to weight it down. Yeah. Yeah. And then we would play in the basement of my um, rent-stabilized apartment building. <laughs> and the superintendent loved the kids. So he opened up the basement for us. He was this nice Irish guy. Mm. And the kids were able to play, like, stick ball, punch ball, wiffle ball, tag mm. in the basement. So you had all of these kids literally reminding me of the movie In the Heights mm. where people were playing in the streets. Yeah. And I don't need to tell you all, right, that the preferred drink in the Heights is piragua. Mm, mm. Like, Mr. Tom, had, I mean, you can tell by my, my gut, I had a lot of piragua growing up. That, <laughs> that's like pure sugar. Right? You're drinking sugar. Yeah. Right. Colored with, with, with food coloring. Yeah. Right? So I had a lot of piragua. I had a lot of, you know, um, 
patalitos. I, I mean, everything that you can think of in a bodega, that was my life. Mm. Bacon, egg, and cheese, too? No, I couldn't afford the bacon, <laughs> egg, and cheese. Oh. Uh, uh, again, Nikhil's a little young. So I'm going to tell you what I did. With a dollar, with one dollar, Mr. Tom, Yo. going to school. First of all, I felt rich. Break it down for him. With a dollar. I felt rich when I was a kid going to school with a dollar. That bought me a butter roll. Okay. A 25 cents bag of chips. Yep. A wise bag of chips. Mm. And a tropical fantasy little drink. Mm. For one dollar. Wow. I didn't know tropical fantasy was Yo, I used to get two bags of chips, a soda, (laughs) and a little Debbie for a dollar. So we're breaking it down up in here. So I know today people are paying six dollars for a cup of Starbucks. Yep. Yeah. But six dollars would cover my whole week, mm-hmm. and so that that is that was my experience, you know, growing up about you know oh and and the water the fire hydrants guys oh yeah I mean you oh yeah you can't have the complete urban experience New if York City. you if New York City, New York City yeah. urban if you don't have a fire hydrant going yep. with the sprinklers with the holes that are punched uh-huh. into the hydrant cap yep. and the kids jumping in the streets that was me. That was little Ed Tom, one of the few Asian kids in the neighborhood with all the Dominican and Puerto Rican kids jumping in the streets in mm. puddles with the fire hydrant sprinkler shooting water at me and mm. playing skellies on the sidewalk. Aside, aside I'm, it's just, you got me thinking about geography, right? So aside from like, you know, your professional, the arc of your professional career has led you here, but in your mind with your family, your beautiful family that you have, um, have have y'all ever thought seriously about relocating, like geographically? Or has New York always been like, this is where I need to be? Like, New York City is my home. I would never go anywhere else. Has that ever been a consideration? So the relocation has been a recent mindset for my wife and I. Mm. Um, we have never thought about it until the last two years. Mm. Uh, as I'm getting closer to retirement, you know, and I have two younger kids. I have three that are older. Yeah. So we're trying to time it so that my third child, when he goes on to college, I only have to worry about the two younger ones, which yeah. is nine and three right now. Yeah. They can go to school anywhere in the country. Yeah. So my nine-year-old and my three-year-old, they're just going to go where mom and dad goes. Mm. The three older kids are gone. Like, on your own. And... Mr. Tom's, the, the, the philosophy in the Tom household is that you're not invited to return <laughs> when no. you go off to college. You are exported. You are like, exported. There, there is no more free lunch. You don't understand. There's no yeah. free room and board. Yeah. You, are only, you are only producing exports. There's no yeah. import. There's no- <laughs> we are only financially bounded to you up until undergrad. Uh. And then the rest is up to you. So we felt that there was only two left, and then that would open up the door. And we're talking about maybe in the next like five to six years, and we're looking at places like Colorado. Oh wow! Mm. Cause light, hell of the west. Come on, come, come on, Mister Palazzo. <laughs> so, I know. So why why Colorado? Like, tell us. What's, you know, what's your draw there? Hiking. Mm. Okay. The outdoors, yeah. biking. Yeah. Right. You know the Rockies. The mountains. Yeah. Right, baby. You know, Mile High, you yeah. know, um, Colorado Springs, just just the clean and healthy mm. life so that I can live a longer life. Mm. Because New York just sucks the life out of you. Mm. I mean, it is there is no city like New York City. Mm. 
We know that, right? Mm. When it comes to the arts, when it comes to museums, when it comes... Right. But when you get to my age and you've done 50 years of it... Yeah. You, you, you can settle for a more tamp, tampered down yeah. lifestyle where yeah. it's nice to go out for light, nice walks with, yeah. your, with your wife. Yeah. You know, into the Colorado Rockies. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Take out the bike with the big gear so that when you yeah. climb in... Yeah. You don't have to worry about that yeah. one gear that Palacios has. There you go. There you go. The messenger gear. Like I don't got messenger gears. I got the I got the old man gears, right? Yeah. yeah. And 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 so to me, we're thinking about Colorado. We also thought about Arizona, right? Because Arizona is another happening like Tucson, warm weather. Tucson, yeah. right? Yeah. Phoenix. Yeah. yeah. You know, and 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 but my wife and I are really big on 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 getting to the point where you know we're going to be living in different parts of the world. In our retirement, yeah, like we sure. want to rent, yeah, yeah, for a couple of months at a time throughout the world. So that that has been a recent, recent, you know, aha, you know, and mm. it hasn't been something that I thought about before. That we we are we are diehard New Yorkers. There you go for for a long Yo, time. Yo, those fire hydrants got a pool to them, man. That's all I guess. <laughs> now, just out of curiosity, um, is going to a place with a significant asian american community important to you or is it just like you know wherever the landscape is nice you know it's funny um it's that's a very interesting question um until recently where there has been an incredible increase and rise in anti-asian hate i never Mm. thought about being around and surrounded by other asian Mm. you know brothers and sisters Mm. um Mm. And it's never been a consideration because I always considered myself an American. Sure. Like as you can tell, like, you mm, know, I right. sound like an American. Yeah. You know, if you if you put me behind a wall, most people wouldn't know that I'm Asian. Mm. And 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 so, but in recent months, and you know, in the recent months, you know, since the pandemic, um, I feel a desire and a pulling and a tugging in my heart to reconnect with my roots. Mm. As an advocate for Asian rights, sure, you know I feel very passionate about it. It's I'm um, I'm blessed because I have a loud voice in many ways, in more ways than you guys know. <laughs> um, and 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 God has blessed me with a network mm. where I can actually use that voice mm. in advocacy for the mm. rights of Asians, mm. and to make sure that we are not dismissed, mm. we are not ignored, and we are not made to feel irrelevant. So, so that's a great question, Nikhil. Like, I, you know, for for most of my life, I haven't thought about yeah. that. But in recent months, I have been thinking more about where we can we can actually serve Asian yeah. community, whether we're living there or not. I mean, but then I think you got to live in the community in order to serve the community. So that's another thought that I have. Mm. So that there are large Asian communities in Houston, Texas, that we, my wife and I, are thinking about. Bay Area, Cali. Bay Area, Cali. Except you know, with the San Andreas Fault, that might fall into the ocean. <laughs> you know, one day. Um, but but that. Thank you for asking that question because um, it's been something that has been a recent, mm. you know, uh, recent thought of mine, and it's been a conviction of mine. Mm. Just out of curiosity, do you speak multiple languages, Mr. Tom? You know, I speak dialects of Chinese, Cantonese. Okay. My wife okay. speaks Mandarin and Cantonese. Right. Mm. Um, I understand a lot more Spanish than I can speak 
for all sure. the years that I grew up in yeah. Inwood, yeah. right? I'm still calling it the Heights, <laughs> Inwood, and mm-hmm. so, uh, so, so, yeah, I can navigate a couple of languages. Sure, all right. that's all right. cool, 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 that's pretty deep. Um, all right, so we turned in the corner on the episode. We co- we're coming around the bend here, um, so we're gonna kind of turn it back, you know, a little bit more reflective and kind of look back upwards, a l- right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Onwards and upwards. Um, so we're gonna look backward a little bit, but also look forward, right? And so um, we want to revisit kind of the seed that you planted earlier, right? You've been the leader of BCSM for 16 years now. You've been a leader beyond that. Um, I guess what have you learned about yourself in terms of leadership? What it means to lead a group of teachers and students and a community, um, and how have you really evolved? Uh, as a leader throughout these last 16 years with BCSM? Wow. That's a whole separate podcast in itself. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Did she why I wanted to save it? No. I, <laughs> it's heavy. Um, I just want to say that being the leader of BCSM has been the greatest honor and joy of my life. Mm. Um. It, at the same time, it was the most difficult and most challenging 16 years of my life. It was the most rewarding, right? And you've heard that from many educators in their experiences. Mm. Um, I walked into this job believing that leadership matters and modeling for your faculty and staff through servant leadership is the key. I always believed in that. I believe that, you know, because I guess I, I, I'm a, I love those military movies where Mel Gibson, you know, in, in I forgot the name of that, that movie. Um, Braveheart? No, it's Braveheart. the one where he's in Vietnam. Um, not a few good men, but uh, anyway, it'll it'll come to me. He he's the first one onto the battlefield, and he's the last one off the battlefield. Mm. And and I love that visual. The visual of of leadership means that you have to be willing to roll up your sleeves and get your hands dirty. Um, and and so that has always been the mantra of my leadership philosophy: is servant leadership. What has evolved over the years is that distributive leadership is really important. So one of the key things to leadership, effective leadership, is that you have to have a keen eye to hire people that are talented and that you can entrust Mm. to be experts in their respective areas. Mm. And be willing to let go. Mm. Right? A third component of that, and this is really, really hard for many leaders to see, but I have learned in 16 years, is that when you compile and put together a team, it's really important to have members of your team reflect the different polar opposites in terms of personalities, values, and so that there is an, a balanced perspective on how the school can be run, right? Mm. 
because you want people to challenge you from different perspectives. But the leader's job is to establish what that non-negotiable value is. And in our school, it's very simple. Everybody knows children first. Right? So if everything goes through the filter of how does this mean that the teaching and learning of kids will be better, then we are welcoming different perspectives on how to do that. Right? So it is the leader's responsibility to establish that non-negotiable and that big ideal about yeah. children first. Yeah. And then you have to put together a team where you can't have every member of your team be type A northerners. Mm. Right? Because that's not going to work because you don't have yeah. anybody willing to be followers. Right. Then you can't have a team full of people that are touchy-feely and want to survey everybody for their input then no decisions will be made. So how do you create a balanced organization with a balanced team where everybody filters whatever their perspective is through the lens of putting kids first? And that has been my lesson over the years and what I have that has evolved into my leadership style is that it is my job to establish the overarching vision as well as the values for organization children first right come with solutions what is your role in that solution mm. don't just give mr tom don't just give miss kim or mrs borak or miss rios a problem tell me and let me feel that you have thought through that problem and what you're willing to contribute to being a solution in that problem right and that has what I've, that's what I've learned over the years as a leader. Is servant leadership, distributive leadership, hire the best talent and let them have the autonomy to make the decision for themselves by putting kids first. I, I was just going to say that <clears throat> the, the bit about that, that that really resonated with me was what you were saying about having versatility in the personalities that that are around you now I don't know if that was something that you learned in in classes that you took or something or that was just an experiential thing that you you found through trial and error but I think that's an incredibly important point that you bring up because I've been in schools where they tried to do it one way they tried to do it this is the system this mm. is how we're gonna rule this is the way we do things and that's not to say that some type of system and some type of order isn't important, but having that kind of versatility and having uh, a variety of different voices, that's really, really important. And it, it allows for a sense of synergy and it allows people to kind of fit into their own little place. You know, what, 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 what's the role for me? Okay, this is something that I can feel comfortable doing. So I, I thought that was a really important point, and um, I don't know if everybody does it like that. I don't know if everybody does it like that. Mm. Yo, so I'm, I'm really curious, man. I've, I asked you this a couple years ago, T. Like, you know, in the DOE, this bureaucracy, this machine, right, there are, especially when you have success and you gain success, there are always going to be avenues 
for promotion. There's so many freaking titles in the DOE. You kind of like went through a couple of them that you've already had, but there's so many. Especially whenever you like somebody sees you and you put yourself on the radar, like, oh, he's doing kind of big things over there in that little Bronx situation. Like, so 16 years, like when I came here five years ago, like one of my major draws was I was looking at leadership. I'm like, how long has the principal been at that school? Right? Because continuity of leadership, good, bad, ugly, if you give me some continuity and consistency with my leader, I know I can do some work. Because if things are always changing at the top, but best believe everything's changing at the bottom, right? So one of the things I've always appreciated and respected about you is just how your longevity here. People ain't got to agree with your vision or whatever, but they can never disrespect that. You, you have put in the work and you've committed for 16 years to be here. So my question is, what kept you here for so long? Because listen, man. I know there were people knocking on your door, sending you emails, calling you like, yo, we got this thing. You want to be this superintendent? You want to be this? You want to be this coach? You want to even another city? You want to go over here? I know there was people knocking on your doors. So my question is, like, what kept you here so long? This is emotional for me. You know, I, I, I love the kids. I wanted to honor my vision. The vision was so important to Mr. Tom to make sure that I gave the vision an opportunity to be carried out. Right? And I think it's much easier, guys and girls, to leave when the going gets tough. But anyone who knows Mr. Tom, I don't like to leave before the work is done. Mm. Or unless I feel I can't continue to make improvements on the work. Yeah. Right? That's another perspective. So I have turned down superintendencies a couple of times in my career. Because at the moment, at the time where I was offered those positions, the work was just not at a place mm. where I can say I felt a sense of peace leaving our families and our children and our faculty in a position to be successful moving forward. Mm. Fast forward, I feel differently right now. Fast forward after 16 years and doing everything that I can, coming every day to work, fighting the good fight, I feel that I've reached a peace in my heart that there is other people that can come in with more energy that may be able to unify the faculty and staff more than I was able to in the last 16 months. Mm. I don't ever like to use as an excuse that because we went through a pandemic mm. that Mr. Tom can be excused for not doing a great job because I'm hard on myself and that's not good enough for Mr. John. That I feel right now BCSM is in a very prime spot for fresh mm. ideas and fresh and new leadership with new energy to come in mm. and move the school to another level. Mm. 
And having said that, I can share with you what Mr. Tom's next steps. Yeah. Are. So yeah. let's look forward. What What is next for you? What is next? What is next? What's the next step? So for you? I have accepted a position to become the deputy superintendent of the Carl C. Icon Charter School Network in the Bronx. Hmm. Right. And that was an opportunity that came along very recently. It wasn't something that Mr. Tom has been planning for years. It literally was a four-week process. They reached out to me. Their leader is going through some health issues with COVID, and mm. they're looking for someone who can come in and possibly be their succession model, succession mm. plan. Yeah. Um, but I have to tell you, for everything that we shared in this podcast, my heart, I'm a man of conviction, and I mm. go with things that mean a lot to me. And although I had the opportunity to pursue other op- uh, other job opportunities, working with certain different populations, I chose the Carl C. Icon Network because it's seven schools that are all in the Bronx mm. serving black and brown children, mm-hmm. which has been my life's work for half of my life. Whether it was in East Harlem or in Marasenia, I've been serving african-american caribbean and latinx students primarily for half of my life and i will be able to continue to do that work that i value so dearly while starting another chapter in my life and now i get to work and impact seven schools with a thousand thousands of kids bcsm has 450 Mm, the seven yeah. icon schools have about 2500 mm. k to eight so i start them young yeah yeah you're moving down a level in terms of age <laughs> but they brought you know. me on board to open high schools for them yeah oh okay got you got you so they have a vision yeah so bcsm has i, I like to think of it this way bcsm and your time here all the teachers all the students all the families have prepared you for this moment have prepared you for the, the the future lives that you're going to impact. I always think about as a teacher, like when I when I think about the impact I've had on my students. When students come to me and say, you know, I appreciate you so much, but I what I'm what I say to them sometimes, if I think of it in a moment or whatever, but I always feel like it's my students from five years ago that brought me here. I wouldn't be able to serve you in a way that I'm serving you right now if it wasn't for my struggles with my students ten years ago, fifteen years in my first year of teaching. Right. There's no way I would be right now serving you in this capacity if it wasn't for the students that came before you. So you really have them to think. Right. And how they help me grow as an educator to be able to present myself to you in this way and help you learn and help you grow as a, as a human. So I feel like the BCSM community has kind of nurtured you in that way. Right. So now you could take take that love that you have. Right. And bring it to different communities and different students, right? And different teachers and their families and everything, so. I, I will always be indebted to the BCSM community. And and I, I know that so many of my friends and family says, oh, wow, you know, you've given so much to that community. No, the community has given back a lot to me. And And I think you said it really well, Brian. I think, you know, I embrace how blessed I am to have been 
the beneficiary yep. of these experiences with faculty, with parents, with kids. Wonderful. Amazing. Amazing faculty, amazing parents, amazing scholars that now will prepare me for how to now service their younger siblings. I yeah. <laughs> K to eight. Yep. Yep. And we will continue this tradition of educating and level the playing field and closing mm. the achievement gap and being the voice for those who are marginalized. Everything mm. that Mr. Tom stands for and I live for is what I will be able to continue to do in this next stop. Yeah. It's time for Della Rosa? Oh, yeah. It's time it, for Della it Rosa. Sure it sure is. I just wanted to chime in real quick, um, which is just that it, it's almost like uh, you're taking a little sprinkle of BCSM and then that little, that little magic dust is going to this other place. And so... Things just kind of have a way of continuing. Uh, we once had a guest on who was actually a former teacher of mine, and Palacios was saying, you know, his influence on me is also an influence on our kids. Mm. And so your influence will be on this other place, but it's obviously a lot of the same things that you did for BCSN. Cool. Well said. Well said. <laughs> All right. Let's cue up De La Rosa. Last call for lunch. All right, so T, you are definitely going to be, we thought Brendan was going to be our last guest, but you are definitely going to be the last guest of the year, and so this will be the last um, guest-oriented, kind of last call for lunch. So during this segment, we have the the guest reflect on, um, the title of the podcast is 1363 and Me. The goal of it was for staff to come on, other folks as well to come on and kind of reflect on their relationship with BCSM and what it has meant for them to be part of this community and you know you've kind of already expounded a lot about what it does mean but we want to give you one final chance to kind of just articulate what it has meant for you to serve the BCSM community all this time um, that you've been here and uh, yeah. What does 1363andMe mean to you? 1363 is Mr. Tom. It is an extension of me. You know, I have spent as much time in this building, in this office, as I have in my own home for the past 16 years. It is an extension of Mr. Tom in so many ways. Through the incredible teachers that I've been able, I've been blessed to work with, that are serving our kids in a way that is inspiring to me. You know, watching how the two of you interact with your kids. Mm on a personal level, mm. right? Beyond content, like you care about these kids as a human being is something that I'm very proud of, very proud of. And that is an extension of Mr. Tom. From the shows that we put on, the multicultural festivals, to the athletics, to you know our LGBTQ clubs, to our gardening club, to our BCSM men clubs, to our robotics club. to It's everything that I would want for my own children is what I put into BCSM and 1363. And in return, BCSM has given Mr. Tom 16 of the best years of my life. Mm. 
it was a two-way reciprocal relationship yeah. and you already know I'm never going to forget this place mm. and this place ain't going to forget you Yeah, that's why we recorded this podcast <laughs> yeah. so that way your impact your influence um, can be heard and felt by future generations so important to do that because it's like a debt this is one hour, yeah. you know, but it's a way to, to just pay you back and make sure that, you know, what you've given to us can be felt by future generations. And just personally, I just want to say you said something earlier about distributive leadership. Like I have we opened up this podcast on, on, on the first show talking about what, you know, we answered the 1363 and me call Christian. And I did. And what I said, just kind of paraphrase, like. You know, I felt like I've grown so much the last five years professionally. Like I have, that's what it has meant to me to be part of this community. Just growth, like immense growth. And there's no way that growth is happening without your leadership. You know, without you, the biggest thing is your trust. And you said it, like trusting your teachers. Trust, like that trust is so hard to get from leaders, from people you look up to. Like you, Miss Kim, all, all the APs, but it, it starts from you. You model that. That trust and say, yo, you, you want to make a book with you? You better go. On. You want to do a pot? Yo, I remember in August last year, I, I called you up on the phone. And I said, yo, Christian and I are going to do this podcast with the staff. What you think? You like, go ahead. There, there, there was no, but wait, you got to do it this way. But how are you thinking? There was nothing like that. It was like, yo, P, you got an idea? You go with it. It's going to be amazing. Like there was no buts or all those or howevers. There was nothing. And it's always been like that with you. Every, and so many teachers can say the same thing. It's never a, 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 a but or there's nothing. It's like you want to do it, you better go. If, you, if your name is on it, I trust you and it's going to be amazing. And you got the kids in your heart. So go with it. Right? And that's how it's always been the last five years with you, brother. And I appreciate that, man. Like that has allowed me to take risks that I never mm ever would have been able to take with my students and i'm so so thankful for that it's my pleasure it's so my thankful, pleasure man. now it's my turn because i have to yeah <laughs> i was just gonna say that when i when i think about the last five years it's just the word that pops into my head is just being grateful i'm just incredibly grateful to have this opportunity um like I said at the at the top of the show, uh, I remember the moment that I was here, uh, getting hired, and I I just feel like I'm constantly I feel so hungry to get to work every day. I mean, this it's the end of the school year, and this whole episode has made me jacked up somehow, some way. Mm. I'm feeling jacked up about next school year now. I'm excited. I'm I'm ready to go now. All of a sudden, I probably should use the summer to recover but <laughs> I'm ready to go and um, I think that you may not know this about me I I'm a you know I'm a I'm a ambitious person I'm a I'm a hungry person I'm a I'm, I'm somebody who if I want something I'm gonna try to get it and I feel like you have that same personality, Mr. Tom. So when I see a person in leadership having that same mentality, I'm like, it, it kind of uh, validates that feeling. And it just makes me want more. It just makes me say, no, I, I, I'm going to put even more effort in. I'm just going to try even harder. I'm going to give it my best shot. I mean, there's so many times this year where I came into work like 
nah, I'm going to close it out. I got to finish this strong. I got to close this year out strong. And um, I'm just really grateful that I have that that type of environment, an incredibly supportive environment mm-hmm. for that. So two points, my pearls of wisdom for each of you. For you, Krishna, I'm going to borrow a quote from one of our former students, Matthew Jefferson, who mm. now works for us. Mm. Yeah. You know what he said to me? That meant the world to Mr. Tom, and it was so simple. He said, Mr. Tom, you know what I appreciate most about you? Is that you know who you are. Mm. Period. Mm. Mm. So, Mr. Krishna, know who you are and be mm. proud of that. Mm. You be you and you go with it. Don't let anybody get in your way. Right? Especially when you're right with kids, like Brian said. Especially when you're right with kids. And number two, I highly recommend you take that break over the summer. <laughs> <laughs> All right? Yo, yeah, yo, y'all better watch out. When Krishna gets right. jacked up, crazy things happen. That's all I got to say. Now, my pearls of wisdom to my brother Palacios, my brother P. That's right, man. You're an incredible, incredible educator. You are a visionary. You are unorthodox, but I love that about you. Right? You mm. push Mr. Tom's thinking. Mm. You push all of the boundaries, right? And that leads to greatness. Mm. And I will leave you with this last thought. Mm. It is easy for Mr. Tom to trust people like you because of who you are. Trust doesn't come easy. Mm. Trust comes easy for Mr. Tom for the right people. And you are the right people, Brian. You deserve to be trusted. Because it would be a shame, Brian, if you could not be who you are and reach your full potential. Because people don't see the talent that I see in you. So, on that note, gentlemen, onward and upward. And that's my, la- that's my final word, fellas. <laughs> That's it. That's what we're doing. All right, we out, y'all. It's a great podcast. T, we appreciate you being with us. Um, This has really been everything that I hoped it would be and more, man. Got, you know, some tears bubbling, so I'm going to hold off on that. Um, And we out of here. Krishna, say bye to the people, man. Yeah. Take care, everyone. See y'all next time. Deuces. Peace.